Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslim in the Room podcast. Your host, Asma Hussein, Iman Ahmed, and Zainab Zafar are three Canadian Muslim women. Every week, they will discuss issues that are relevant to the celebration, growth, and empowerment of Muslim women in the West. They will confront some of the social issues affecting us through thought-provoking topics. We would love for you to join us. You can do that by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. But for now, join us and let's get into today's episode. Assalamualaikum and welcome to the Muslim in the Room. Today we're chatting about the concept of toxic positivity and how it's related to our self-care. So we often hear statements like, oh, positive vibes only, or we come across people who can't accept anything they deem to be negative, even when those quote-unquote negative things are actually constructive. So my question is, what's the balance, right? Because we want to make sure we're hopeful and positive people without denying reality. That's absolutely right, Asma. And I actually realized that over time, I've internalized this whole goodbyes only thing. (laughs) And it got to the point where it would literally distort my reality. Or that if a day went by and it wasn't all good vibes, I would feel doomed. And it might not be a big thing, but if the day wasn't all about positivity and say it was about regular normal struggles people go through, it would hit me really hard. Because then I would say, well, today wasn't a good vibes only day, (laughs) right? And I think that became problematic. The fact that I was internalizing this belief and I was only able to get out of it when I realized that it shouldn't be that way. And in fact, we should be welcoming all kinds of vibes because that will teach us how to accept it and work through it as opposed to, like you said, denying it. Exactly. I absolutely agree with you, Iman. Um, the idea of acceptance of our reality than just living in a bubble that promotes positivity but not understanding and kind of learning about ourselves because part of self-care and part of being positive is also accepting the reality that we're in, but also questioning the idea of toxic positivity and where is that leading to? Are we denying something? Are we hiding something? Are we avoiding the pain that needs to be kind of brought to the surface and taken care of? Yeah, I mean, maybe a good part, a good place to start is defining, like, what does toxic positivity mean to you guys? Hmm. Toxic positivity basically means that somebody, then it means that somebody is undermining what I'm going through. So if I go to somebody and seek advice that, you know, I'm going through this or I would like your help and they're saying, you know, you'll be fine, you'll, you'll get over it. The idea is that it minimizes my experience of life. And if I'm doing that to myself, you know, not even seeking somebody's advice, but telling myself, no, I'll be okay, you know, I'll get over it, rather than really finding out why is it hurting me or why am I in this situation? What what are the lessons from it? So toxic positivity to me means that having this bubble that is not going to really get to the root causes of why I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing. Absolutely. I think toxic positivity for me is just invalidation, like you said. And to be honest with you, I think we've been conditioned growing up to invalidate a lot of our experiences. Think of example, when we fall and our parents say, shake it off, you're fine, stand up, you're good. And I realized I started to do this with my own kids. If they got hurt, if they were sad or upset, I started to be toxically positive with them, mainly because I want them to stop crying. So like, uh, you're fine, you know, shake it off, you're good. No, just take a deep breath, you're fine. And I realized that I was doing it to them too. And that was messed up. (laughs) 
it's true. I'm just trying to get to you. Because I remember when I used to fall and get really hurt, I wanted someone to tell me, man, Iman, you got really hurt. <laughs> I see that you're in pain. Like that, when someone said that to me, it made me feel better. As opposed to someone telling me, girl, just shake it off, you're fine. And what's funny is that I started to shift that. So I started to change it. So when my kids get really upset <laughs> or sad, I will tell them, you know what? I totally understand why you're upset. I can see that you're crying. I can see the thing my daughter the other day tells me. She <laughs> said, sorry. I was laughing, sorry. Because she, she was really upset about something. And I said, oh, Dana, man, I see that you're really, really upset. You know, you're really upset about what Baba said. I get it. I understand what you're feeling. And then she's like, so she stopped crying because she was shocked at what I was saying. <laughs> she said to me, okay, but now what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like saying, never give up. Like, my daughter is like, well, no, sometimes I do want to give up. <laughs> you know, it's true though. Like sometimes yeah. I to give up because maybe this is not meant for you. So the entire idea of never give up, maybe sometimes you're holding on to something that's actually hurting you more and it's better to give up. So <laughs> the entire idea has to be like the question. So, you know, that really showed me the impact it can have when you validate people's experiences as opposed to just pushing it under the rug. Because, you know, the first step of healing is to admit that there's something wrong, that there is something happening, mm -hmm. right? And then we can move on to, just like Zaina said, okay, well, now what? <laughs> you know, you validated me now. If you like, be positive. Just now what do we do? <laughs> well, no, but, but you know what? So negative. <laughs> But you know what? Because you validated what she was feeling, now she can look at it and say, okay, now what do we do about it? Exactly. Instead of being stuck. Yeah, instead of being stuck at that first stage mm -hmm. where you don't, you almost don't even know if what you're feeling is okay. You know, exactly. like, is this okay that I'm feeling this because mm -hmm. I'm hearing from other people that, no, I shouldn't be feeling this. So you just get stuck. You get stuck in this place of like, I should be positive, but I'm not. And it causes so much internal turmoil. So much. That like we can't even, we can't even get to that just one extra step to say, okay, now what am I going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Exactly. I have a question. Uh, what do you guys think about the idea of toxic positivity? And some people might say, well, if you're not being positive, then you're making somebody hopeless about their situation. But I feel like toxic positivity is actually countering hopefulness because it's actually like you know like it doesn't create a hopeful situation it doesn't give you any substance to move on further right what are your well it shuts you down like it, it shuts, shuts you down. down exactly so it's right? not really hopeful some people might say well no we need to create more hopeful situation for somebody or we need to give them hope as they are coming to us and asking us of advice or even for ourselves it's actually the opposite i feel like it shuts you down right it's yeah yeah Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think it creates even a, an internal conflict, right? Like as Matt was saying mm -hmm. within yourself, because like you said, you don't know what to feel. But think about it. When it keeps on happening, though, mm -hmm. what ends up happening is that you, you never know if what you're feeling is accurate. So yeah. I think what Amanda was saying was, is really on point. It ends up distorting your emotional spectrum, I guess. Like you can't really, you get to a point where you no longer understand that what you're feeling is valid. And so you're just constantly in the state of just almost hating yourself because you're feeling emotions that are 100% natural. But to you, like in your head, logically, you're like, well, everyone's telling me that these emotions are unnatural. 
mm-hmm. therefore, if I'm feeling them, there's something wrong with me. And that, that opens like a whole other can of worms, right? Even when it comes to, like when it comes to self-care, like the reason that I tied toxic positivity to self-care is because the, the popular image of self-care is like taking a bubble bath, going to a spa, like all these things that are just going to make you feel good. Anything that makes you feel good is self-care. You know, that's kind of like the image that that's pushed on us. Mm-hmm. But in reality, mm-hmm. self-care can actually be very difficult. It can be like the hardest thing that you do. It can be looking at your life and unpacking things and like unpacking traumas and going to a therapist and and that whole process being extremely difficult sometimes. Mm -hmm. Having difficult conversations with people in your life, like all of these things that are seen as quote unquote negative and they wouldn't pass the vibe check. (laughs) They are actually the, sometimes they're the best form of self-care. And so when we're stuck in this world, we're like, no, everything has to be positive. Everything has to be good. We're actually shooting ourselves in the leg. Because mm-hmm. that's not how life is. That's not how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala created so this world. Exactly. So true. Like it's like almost avoiding the problem and just kind of living in that bubble. But what you just talked about, it's like no, let's get to the root causes. Let's get to what is bothering. And I really like the point I believe uh, Iman was bringing forth the idea of connecting that to getting to know yourself. Like who are you as a person? So when we avoid this idea of toxic positivity and get to the root causes and not avoid um, pain, but actually like learn from our pain, we learn about ourselves. And I think that's so powerful because when you know yourself, you get, you're empowered to make certain decisions and you feel lighter, you know, no matter what chaos is happening around you, you are calm. And I think it goes back to what Iman was saying. Iman, do you want to um, elaborate on that or um, what are your thoughts on the idea of getting to know yourself while Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the first step to self-care is self-awareness. Getting to know yourself, you know, getting to know why certain things trigger you, why certain things bother you, and why and or how you cope with certain things. One of the ways I used to cope was just pretend like everything was okay. Putting that mask up. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, things are bothering me, but I'm going to plaster this mask on my face and I won't let but then that catches up to you like that is just no good because it will catch up to you and you'll you'll get to a point where you have to take off that mask and that takes a whole like I can't even tell you I think for me when I the year I took self-care seriously was probably back in 2017 and it honestly took a whole year of self-reflection like it wasn't a week it wasn't a month it was a year of constant daily self-reflection lots of education, learning, learning about myself, you guys getting to know myself all over again, especially after you go through a lot of milestones in your life and a lot of changes, such as becoming a mom and all of that. You, you, you get to this point where you kind of feel lost because you, you consume whole identity, right? So, so it took a lot, a lot, a lot out of me to really understand myself. But the benefit of that was now I can put healthy boundaries where I need them to be and I can prioritize my mental health and mm-hmm. I can advocate for myself, something I couldn't do before. That took gut and it took courage and it, it wasn't easy to do, but it had to be done because I knew that if I didn't do anything about it, then the mm-hmm. price I was paying was me. <laughs> and that was just wow. a high price to pay. So yeah, and, and that... That self-care wasn't pretty and it wasn't bubble baths and it wasn't facial masks, mm-hmm. you guys. It was therapy. It was talking, talk therapy, talking to people, being honest about my feelings and no more sugarcoating stuff and mm-hmm. putting up mm-hmm. this mask and being real and raw. Mm-hmm. And I think 
a lot, a big reason as to why we don't do that is fear. This was what I was going back to most of the time. Fear that if I truly spoke what I felt, I would lose relationships, right? Or I would lose people in my life, important people in my life. But the reality is when I actually did it, the people who mattered stayed and the people who didn't were gone. And I was perfectly fine with that. You know, it really created a nice filter. (laughs) There's there's a fine line here, like, you know, who do you actually (laughs) decide to um, confront the the situation and who do you feel like, oh, I need to actually just kind of stop here. I think their response is already a closure for me. So I don't need to further go and find out, you know, and if inshallah, if they are to come back, then I would accept them. But if they're not, they're moving forward, that's fine. And mm-hmm. I really like the idea, Iman, because all of this just makes me feel like you lived in that present moment. So self-care is being in that present, right? Learning from the past, but not living in the past and not that's, sharing. I love oh that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that's what, Zane? That's a great way to put it. And you are so right. You know what, what I, what I think, um, when I hear you speaking, man, like, yes, we, I think we have fear when it comes to, um, thinking about like tuning things out and actually sitting with ourselves because like, there's, I think a lot of different elements of fear that, that are tied in. Cause like what happens when you do that, when you sit with yourself, you almost feel like quieting, you're quieting the voices around you is actually going to end up opening the floodgates of your trauma. Absolutely. And it's like, it's almost we, like we get to a point where we're like, I don't want to touch that because it's going to be too painful. And so we just kind of shove it aside and we pretend everything's fine and we kind of go and we can live. Honestly, people can live their entire lives like that, just kind of shoving things aside and, you know, putting on this facade of like, I'm OK. Mm. But there's just so not OK. And the longer like the more time passes, <laughs> the more time passes, the worse you feel and the worse you uh, yeah, the worse you feel. And then the ironic thing is that after a number of years pass or whatever, you get to a point where you don't even know why you feel bad because you've shoved things aside for so long. You don't know why you feel bad. You don't know why you're always angry or you're always irritable or you're always like snapping at like family members or your kids or whatever. You just don't know because you've like, Mm -hmm. you've hidden it for so long. But I think, and that fear is valid by the way, because this kind of this work is not easy and it does sometimes open the floodgates, you know, and you will experience like a lot of lows. The, the, like in the long run though, if you don't do it, you're just kind of signing yourself up for a life full of just this like unspecific, like anger and irritability that just like never leaves you. And basically you're going through the motions of life with no, I don't know, with no joy. joy. Yeah. Yeah. There's no true joy. Exactly. You're not living true to yourself. You know? you're exactly. You're avoiding it. You're avoiding it. And you're not. So- and you're right, Asma. Honestly, um, sit, tuning out voices and sitting with your own is not easy. And it's very scary. I'd be lying to you if I'd say it's not. It's scary, but that's why it cannot. You don't have to do it alone. You can get help. We live in a day and age where you can get help. Get someone to help you through it. But like you said, Asma, the, so- like, the sooner you do it, the better. Because the more you put it off, Not only are you hurting yourself, you're going to hurt the people around you that you love the most. And that's not fair to them. And I've seen this manifest in other relationships and other families. I see where I see moms who are not happy about so many things, but that they put up this mask and then they end up hurting their kids and they don't know why they're hurting their kids. And then they feel guilty. Yeah. So I, I also think that there's a misconception about Islam. 
There's a misconception that Islam teaches us to only be positive all the time. And that like, because we talk, um, you know, we will always hear lectures and do classes on patience. And uh, when something bad happens to you, you have to be patient. And sometimes that patience is uh, interpreted in a way that's, frankly, toxic positivity. It's like exactly the definition of toxic positivity sometimes, the way in mm-hmm. which it's defined. That like, just be grateful. Oh, you lost this thing? Well, be grateful because you still have that thing. Like, and, and like, there's no space for you to grieve over the thing that you lost. Or like, something bad happened to you, but you know what? Your reward is with Allah. So just don't be sad. Literally, the, the, the word don't yeah. be sad. Mm-hmm. It's like you're not, it's telling you you're not allowed to feel sadness. Because if, <laughs> apparently, if you feel sadness, then you're a bad Muslim. Yeah. Do you guys have, so do you guys, like, have so you guys true. experienced this? Oh my God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have nothing to do with You're talking. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. 100%. That's why you remind me of the book, Don't Be Sad by Ed uh, I was like, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But you know what, though? In the book, it's actually different than the title. Like, in the book, he's not telling you you can be sad. He's saying, even with the sadness, it's okay to be sad, but try to be optimistic about that sadness. So that makes sense. Yes. That does make sense. Like, have hope. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, toxic positivity is actually not really giving hope to people. It's, It's shutting them down, right? Like, Asma, you were saying. And when you bring in Islam, Islam into this, it makes the other person feel really guilty that they don't have any chance to, like, you know, they don't have any room to grieve or they don't have, have any room to kind of talk about their experience because you just shut them down by saying, well, no, Islam says that you should be, you know, you should be grateful. So that, that point is I know, really good. Yeah. And but I think, you know, mm-hmm. Zainab, you're so right. And I think it goes back to our misunderstanding of Islam to begin with. If the Prophet and he is a prophet, a chosen one, mm-hmm. had an entire year of sadness, who are we to say you can't be sad? The Amal Hazm, there's a whole year that was named the year of sorrow, the year of sadness, after mm-hmm. the Prophet suffered so many losses. So who are we to say, oh, you can't be sad because Allah is the most merciful and Allah's blessings, you know, continue and you should be grateful and even if bad things happen, you know, the whole gaslighting thing happens. And I think it's not right. And people need to stop doing that. There's nothing wrong with being sad. The same God, I was reading somewhere, who was, someone wrote this, I don't know who, but they were reminding us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fully tells us in the Quran, He makes you laugh and he makes you cry. Mm-hmm. So why are we against it? It's such a natural feeling. All these feelings we feel is something Allah created in us. So why are we always shutting it down? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't leave. That's no- like, yeah, yeah. Honestly, it is a huge misconception that Islam shuts down our humanity, or that like when we're believers. I I've, I heard this so many times growing up and like in my twenties and stuff. When we're believers. Um, we can take anything on, you know, like Allah's with us and therefore, you know, we can get through anything. Like, it's just kind of like this shield that Islam is a shield. And that's, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. I actually think that there is a lot of positivity and it, it, it is important to remain positive and to be hopeful uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to take you out of a difficulty. And all of those things are, they are very important and we should never mm-hmm. diminish that. But mm-hmm. when we only focus on that, to a point where people feel like their humanity makes them bad people is so silly. Because Allah, like you were saying, Iman, Allah created us 
with a spectrum of emotion that we're supposed to feel. We're supposed to feel all of these things. And the question is like, when you're feeling really down, angry, sad, irritated, whatever, how are you going to use that state to become closer to Allah? So it's not like, no, shut down your sadness. It's not allowed. It's more like, okay, you're sad and that's perfectly fine and it's understandable. Now, how do we use this sadness to increase the love between like you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, uh, you were just reminding me in terms of like coping with feelings. Like as we know from the year of sadness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the Prophet's story as a way to, for, to make the process and feel better. That's why at the year of sorrow, we had the story of Yusuf revealed. And you saw how long it is. Surah Yusuf is, is a very long surah in the Quran. But isn't that beautiful that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was sending the Prophet based on how he was feeling, ways to cope with his feeling, to cope That's with amazing. it, to distract him to give him hope and you know he tells him all these stories so that he can show the prophet that yes you're going through hardships but look at all the other prophets who also went through hardships look at the different hardships they went through like i don't know it's so beautiful you guys when we really look back like you said um asma is we need to take these feelings acknowledge them and then ask ourselves how can we move forward closer to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the end of the day mm-hmm. and i think that's what self-care is for a muslim mm-hmm. person that's what self-care is Every day you're asking um, yourself, how can I care for myself so that I can serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and submit to him better. And you yeah. know, plan out your, your joy. And that's part of also, you know, strengthening your ties with Allah because then even though you're experiencing the pain, but how do you plan out your joy while you're experiencing the pain? And there's nothing wrong to sit down and grieve. And, and then when you come out, then you're not constantly in that state, state. So when you're with your kids, then you say, well, I, I'm going to plan out my joy with my kids and I'm going to stay present and not in the thoughts that I had. And that helps moving around that and planning out your joy and very intentionally having space to isolate yourself to grieve at the point that you're grieving. I think that's also, there has to be fine balance here, right? In creating spaces and in creating Places where we're meeting or meeting certain people to create that joy, right? Yeah. I think consciously creating joy is actually really important. You know, mm-hmm. making sure that you have the relationships that you need to have in order to flourish. All of these things, they don't, like sometimes, yes, of course, sometimes Al-Spantada blesses us with them. And other times you have to work towards them. It's not just something that like mm-hmm. is a given. Like you have to go and you have to seek ways to Remain happy. Does that, that make sense? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Asma, yeah. would you like to talk about your Muskoka trip? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh. So, so, like, part of my part of my self care, part of self care is having fun. Let's just you know, let's just uh, put that one out on the table too. Taking time yeah. for yourself, away from your responsibilities. A lot of moms sometimes they don't have the space to do that. Just like even physical space, like to move, to go somewhere outside of the house without their kids, for example, and just have some moments of quiet. And so, because like we feel so much guilt, you guys. I don't know about you guys, but as a mother, I feel so much guilt. That like, yeah, oh, I'm leaving my daughter overnight. Mm-hmm. But why? Like, what's exactly. the reason? There's no emergency. Like, what's the reason? <laughs> yeah. There's no, like, I don't have a valid reason. Therefore, I can't do it. All of these things, though, are taught to us. These aren't like, these aren't natural things. Yeah I, that's, yeah, I think a part of addressing self-care is also addressing this guilt that comes at us from every single angle, 
and that like it seems like we can never escape it and really looking at that guilt and dissecting it and saying why is it that I feel this way even though for example I'm going somewhere overnight my kids are 100% safe they're happy they're fed their clothes are clean everything and yet I still feel guilt why you know and and like thinking about that I think is also a form of self-care that's a great point, Esma. The mom guilt is a famous thing that we all go through, which till this day, I have no idea where it comes from. But I completely agree with you. We feel so guilty if we leave our children, even though we're leaving them in safe spaces and they're taken care of. Why do we feel this sense of guilt for taking time away for ourselves? And you know, we come back, then we, we gain strength when we go and take some time out for ourselves and come back. We're actually more present for our kids. I guess we just have to kind of let go and not feel that. But I know it's really hard because I feel the same way. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, why not, though? You and, know, though, it, I think it requires a mindset change. Mm-hmm. Like we need to be yeah. a mindset, and that's what we need to work on. I realized that when I started to, I started to train my thoughts better. So instead of I thinking, oh, if I step away from my kids, oh, I'm feeling guilty because why? I'm neglecting them. No. So rephrasing that thought, rewriting mm-hmm. it in your head and saying, no, when I step away from my kid, I'm respecting myself. I'm respecting my body. I'm respecting my mental health. And that's something I want my children to walk away and learn from too. So, mm-hmm. and, and just telling myself that when I step away, I come back better. I come back stronger. I come back more present, right? I mean, absolutely. And that's exactly how I feel. Like sometimes when I'm with them all the time, I'm burnt out. They're getting the worst of me 90% (laughs) of the time. (laughs) But the moment I care for myself and I say, you know what? No, we need a time apart or I need time out. I come back missing them. (laughs) I come back ready to have fun with them and I'm much more present Mm -hmm. and I'm happier. And I think our kids deserve that. So instead of You know, I think, again, it goes back to training our thoughts. I don't know if it has something to do with conditioning, like growing up, maybe we've been conditioned to think that a mom Mm -hmm. is not with her kids all the time is not a good mom. Mm A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. We've been, we've been, that's been in our heads since Mm -hmm. the beginning of time. (laughs) Maybe, maybe I'm being, maybe I'm exaggerating, but um, I really love the idea of training your thoughts. And not just training your thoughts, but being so conscious in your life that you're able to make decisions that benefit you and not just be in a state where you're just going with the flow. If we have this like societal notion that like taking time away from your kids is selfish, for example, that, that is there. That's, we're not, no one's denying that that is there, but then you can come and you can confront that idea and you can just be like, you know what? That doesn't apply to my life. And you're consciously, like, exactly what you said, you're training your thoughts. Even if, like, some little inkling of guilt remains in your heart, it's still not going to change your actions because you know logically that uh, you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we do this kind of thing over and over, we, even with our bodies, even if inside of us we feel uneasy with something or we feel that guilt or whatever, we're still moving forward with it, with our bodies, with our physical actions. And I think when you do that, that eventually seeps into your own thoughts. And it becomes a lot easier to do the things that you know are right. I think we should definitely do a topic of changing mindset. Because there are so many things that can come up with it. Like so many things we're conditioned to kind of accustomed to believing that this is how certain things are. And there needs to be a mindset change. You know, what I got from what you're saying is that listen to yourself. For your family, yourself, 
then, you know, let people think whatever they like to think. And, and I think part of it is that sometimes we care too much, like myself, I'm talking about like, you know, oh, my mom said this, or I'm, I'm you know, um, my sister said that, or, but what is best for my family? Where do I lie with that? Like, am I neglecting my kids or am I, um, you know, leaving them in safe hands? And, you know, not feeling guilty about the decision that I'm taking that, that settles well with me. And I think we need to start listening to ourselves. but that's a process. Like you don't get to it right away. Like what Iman was talking about, like you are, you basically need to first discover who you are and, you know, get to that process of self-actualization, really understanding how you behave in certain situation or asking yourself or getting in touch with your inner self and then listening to that voice. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. And, and, you know, I think a part of it also comes back to what we think we deserve. A lot of times I'll hear parents say, well, I don't deserve time away or, but then why don't you deserve it? Who said you were undeserving? That is so true. (laughs) That's something that happens with me. I'd be like, no, Mm -hmm. like I remember a time when someone scheduled a trip for us and I was like, no, 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 I don't deserve to go on a trip. I had back then I had like a 14 month old and then all the other kids. And it was so interesting, like, why did I feel undeserving? I have no idea. (laughs) And again, he said, both of you, like, it came back to being conscious of my thoughts and being conscious of my self-talk, what I tell myself and asking questions more, like asking, digging deep, saying, why don't I think I'm deserving though? Do I think I'm I'm not a qualified mom? (laughs) Like, you know, what's going on? And again, we are working against a lot of conditioning. And as you know, that takes a lot of effort, Zainab, like you said, like it takes a lot to That's go against topic, the brain. Yeah. Because, because to monitor your thoughts, right? Like, yeah. Oh. And mm-hmm. especially though, because especially if you have family around you who believe in those thoughts still, mm-hmm. so you're, 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 you feel like you're always in a battlefield. Like not only are you working <laughs> against yourself, but you have to work against everybody else. And it's exhausting. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right? It's true. It's so, it's, true. It's so tiring. But then yeah. you still have to push through because yes, it'll be tiring, but it's going to be worth it in the end. And honestly, mm-hmm. I think every mother, and I tell mothers this all the time, like every mother deserves some time alone to herself. We're not just talking about one-off trips. We're talking about on a daily basis. If you want to be a better mom, you want to be better at what you do, you need breaks. And that's no questions asked, whether it's nap time if they're really young or whether it's you telling them, I'm sorry, I'm locking the door. Mom needs some me time. (laughs) I'll see you in an hour. (laughs) So one of the things I was thinking about when you were speaking, Iman, is that I think we're taught this concept of being martyrs like, and that giving everything up. And not just for kids, but I think for us, especially kids, just because that's what we're talking about. Giving everything that you have, your time, your energy, your money, everything for someone else is something that's seen as so beautiful, so like rewarding. Mm -hmm. And it always, for me, it always comes back to this is how we were taught Islam. And like giving giving your, your whole self up for the benefit of others. And the thing is, like, I, at the same time, don't want to take away from that because, yes, there's a concept of self-sacrifice. There's a concept of giving your wealth so that other people can benefit and all of these things. And those things are rewarded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But I think we got got to a point, I don't know when, but we took it too far. We took it too far. Like, for example, I I, I don't know if you guys ever heard this from your parents, but like, oh, if you don't want to waste food, then give your child food. And then when she's done eating, you eat the leftovers. 
And it's like, I don't, have you guys heard this before? That's yeah, so that classic. You don't always, <laughs> it's a classic, right? Yeah. And it's like, I, whatever. I mean, you can think or whatever feed you want to uh, Feed your kids for us before you eat yourself. But I'm like, no, I need to I eat know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay. Then I can feed like, my kids. Like, whatever you think of that statement, let's set that aside. But it's really the concept that, like, you have to put everyone before you and then you kind of just like take the leftovers and the crumbs and you survive on that. And, and it's not fair. Like, I don't know how else to say it. it's not fair. Like I, like sometimes when I think about myself, I'm like, I was an individual before I was ever a mother. And I was an individual in need of care, love, sustenance, and all of that. And just because I've become a mother, or even if for people who are not mothers, if you've become a wife, if you're a daughter, if you're all of these roles that you're playing, that doesn't take away from your individual rights to living a full and happy and joyful life without having to drag things out of you, without diminishing yourself to a point where you don't even feel like a, a full person anymore. Yeah, it's almost as if when you become a mom, you, you pass those rights over, right? They no longer belong to you. Yeah. <laughs> they belong to the children. And that's just something, I don't know, I don't agree with. You know, no, I definitely agree with you as well, but what are some practical steps that we can kind of think of? Because sometimes when people are in situations like that, it's, it's hard to pull yourself out and say, no, I don't want to do this now because this is so, you know, like you feel selfish kind of like when you say, no, I don't want to uh, in a family setting or, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not available for this dinner or I can't host this party over because I'm busy or how do you you know, it goes back to setting boundaries, but like, what are some practical ways of keeping your self-care as the first prayer? Honestly, I think it's, it goes back to what you mentioned about being conscious of what's going on inside of you. Because mm -hmm. when, you, when you're at a point where you're feeling resentful if someone asks you to do something, there's something wrong. And you mm -hmm. have to be like, why am I feeling this way? Even though I love my child or I love my parent or whatever, but I'm feeling resentful when this happens. And so what is the issue here? Is it really that that person is asking too much of me? Or is it something coming from within me? And you have to have this, like, this process where you look at everything that's happening. And if you can't do it, you can't do it. Like now, I don't feed my daughter and then eat her leftovers. I put food in my plate. <laughs> and I put I enough food in her plate. Like, and I'm like, I put enough food in her plate, not too much. And I'm like, you got to finish that plate. I'm not eating it after you. Okay, okay. <laughs> or, or do what I do. I tell her, I, you know what I tell them? I tell them, cover your food and you're going to have it for dinner because I'm not finishing yes. that plate for you. You're not eating anything else learned. until you finish yeah. that food. Exactly. Whether you want to do it now or two hours later, you're going to finish it. And you see, though, Asma, I'm happy to hear this because, look, it took dedication. It took for you to advocate for yourself. It, you, you have to stand your ground. That's the thing mm -hmm. with self-care. You can't be wishy-washy. You can't be like, yes, one day yeah. I'll host a party. And then two weeks later, you're resenting that, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so you really have to stand your ground. And you will get pushback. That's the thing. People will push back, but you still have to stand your ground. But the beautiful thing is, though, after a while, people will start to respect it. Exactly. This is something I experienced myself. They might not like it at first. They will push back. But in the end, they will respect it. And you're winning because you're, you prioritize your mental health. You prioritize mm -hmm. your self-care. And now your relationship is so much better because of that, you know, as opposed yeah. to before where everybody's resenting each other. Like, what's the point of that? <laughs> right? Yeah. And I feel and like that's what? like for all relationships, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Your relationship with your own self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think we think about this. 
like when I think about my relationships, I think, okay, my relationship with my daughter, my parents, my friends, like coworkers, whatever. But I never stop and think, what is my relationship like with myself? Mm-hmm. Do I like myself? Mm-hmm. Do I agree with the things that I do and the things that I think? Like it's <laughs> first and foremost, the relationship you should be thinking about is you know, the relationship with yourself. And of course, your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is directly affected by how you feel exactly. about yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your worth in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes. Mm-hmm. Getting to that level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you have to understand and believe. You know, a lot of mothers question their self-worth. Mm-hmm. And I do too from now and then. Um, but then I always remember like the status Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us. And that like, who am I to question my self-worth when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells me my status and tells me how important I am as a mother or as a, as a woman. So I think really self-care, first of all, I think there's also this notion that self-care is this one-off thing we do once a month, right? Well, yeah, I'm taking care of myself on Sundays. <laughs> I don't know why Sunday is self-care day, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I don't know, guys. I think that's also messed up. Self-care is every single day. It's waking up with it. With, it's waking up with a with a grateful mind, you know, asking mm-hmm. yourself the, the right questions, you know, praying yourself. Dean is a huge form of self care. You know, prioritizing your salah, prioritizing your obligations. Mm-hmm. That itself brings you so much contentment and happiness when you know you're pleased with Allah that created you. So I don't know. I personally think self care is a daily struggle. It's something that you do every single day, framing your day around your self care. You know having like a visual telling yourself, you know, from this time, this time, I need a break. I don't care who needs to take care of the baby. (laughs) If if the kids are going to eat chips for snacks, like I don't care, but I need this time for myself. What's funny is when I started doing this, a lot of people, and I would share this like sometimes with colleagues and friends and they would think I'm crazy guys. Like they'd be like, how can you be away from your kids? My kids know mom has me time. Literally, I got a lock for my door because they know how to, they, they won't keep the door closed. <laughs> I lock my door, you guys. And I tell them, I know they're safe. I usually baby proof everything. I know everybody's thing. I know someone is supervising them, but they know not to come to me at this time. And it's the best thing that I taught them since they were young. And you know what they learn? They learn to respect themselves too, because now they'll do it to themselves. They'll tell me, mama, I need some alone time. Can I go to my room for a bit? Like, how beautiful is that? The fact that they're so self-aware that they recognize and respect the fact that sometimes we just need to be alone, just to breathe. Because <laughs> it's not easy being around a lot of people every day. <laughs> but honestly, yeah. it's funny when it's coming sometimes from a four-year-old. It, it is funny, but I love it. And you it. might need time. I think that's something we lacked growing up. There was no mm-hmm. such a thing as you're going to go sit alone somewhere. What are you talking about? <laughs> no. <laughs> you had to be on the clock all day long, right? And I'm just grateful that now we're, we're learning better ways to, because our world's changed too, guys, to be honest with you. So yeah. I'm just glad that we're learning different ways to cope with it that are different, that looks different than how our parents did it. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think my takeaway is uh, to really sit with yourself and understand what your triggers are, what you are really struggling with, and not just surface level. And this isn't something that you can do in one day. This is an ongoing, literally from now until the end of your days. Like This is an ongoing process that in order for us to take care of ourselves and therefore take care of our relationship with Allah and our relationship with our, 
our families and our friends and our communities. We have to do the work, the internal work. And to me, that is the best form of self-care. Um, you know, my takeaway from this is that self-care is being kind to yourself and listening to yourself and questioning your thoughts. For every negative thought that comes in, makes you anxious. Believe that it's from shaitan because thoughts that come to make you calm and thoughts that come to uh, give you clarity is from Allah subhanahu wa So my idea of self-care is to have your connection strengthened with Allah so that you start to listen to yourself more and more and believing in yourself. So that's my takeaway. MashaAllah, those are beautiful. All right, everyone, thank you for listening and tuning in for this episode. We can't wait for you guys to engage with us over at The Muslim in the Room on Instagram. And until next time, assalamualaikum. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We would love to hear your thoughts, so be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and tell us what you think. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And to connect with us a little bit more, join us over at Instagram at the handle The Muslim in the Room. Tune in next week for another thought-provoking, or who knows, maybe even a little controversial episode. Until then, take care and assalamu alaikum.